The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Open with me to the book of James this morning. James chapter 1 is where we'll be. And uh, when you look at the, uh, the platform this morning and you looked up here and you saw the praise team, uh, it's obvious looking up here on the platform this morning that the 1980s are gone. The reason that you know that is because the two men there in the praise team had bigger hair than the women in the praise team. The 80s are gone. And the other reason you know that is that Ed and I have a whole lot less hair today than we did in the 80s. So um, you look up there, that, that, sorry, that was funny to me, maybe not so funny to you. Today I want to tell you what the Scripture tells you, that you'll probably not hear very often in church, to boast. And we should be a boastful people. And, and not in the way that you think that we maybe should be a boastful people, but we should be a boastful people. You'll see what I mean when we walk through this text together. Uh, in this text, you'll hear in a moment a paradox. The new, uh, new Oxford American Dictionary defines a paradox as this. A statement or a proposition that despite sound or apparently sound reasoning from acceptable premises leads to a conclusion that seems senseless logically unacceptable or self-contradictory. That's a paradox. It says one thing, but it doesn't seem to make sense until you look at it further, and there is some truth there. Things like some examples would be, well, sometimes you've got to step back in order to go forward. That doesn't sound like it makes sense, but you and I know from experience sometimes it does. Or a paradox would be giving is receiving. It doesn't make sense when you just look at the words, but we all know that Sometimes the greatest, greatest way to give ourselves a gift is to give to someone else. The Bible's full of paradoxes. Um, things like the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. The meek shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those that mourn, those that hunger and thirst, those that are persecuted. We looked a couple of weeks ago in James. James gave us a paradox when he said, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds. Those are two things that we think don't go together, joy and trials. I speak often, and the Bible, I think, has this message all throughout, that we live as believers in the already, but the not yet. That when Jesus came, the kingdom began to be ushered in, but the kingdom is not fully realized yet. These are all paradoxes that I, I think are here in Scripture. G.K. Chesterton uh, gave this definition to a paradox. He said, a paradox is a truth standing on its head, shouting for attention. And I think that's a good definition for us. That what we're going to see here in this passage is a truth standing on its head, shouting for attention. When James tells the brother in this passage, the brother in humble circumstances, to boast in his exaltation. And when he tells the rich brother to boast in his humiliation, it seems like James has gone off his rocker a little bit. That he's not quite there. That he's not making sense. That maybe he meant to say, and there have been theologians throughout history that have tried to interpret this in other ways, but... I think he means exactly what he says, and I'll show you that in the text. In our world today, the very notion of a Christian having to live a lowly, 
a humble circumstanced life is sort of an anomaly. It doesn't make sense in our world. The, the world wants to preach and teach that if you come to Christ, then everything is going to be well for you. That God will give you all the money you want and you won't ever get sick and everything's just going to be hunky dory. But the reality is, you go to any other context outside of wealthy America and you begin to preach that message and it does not make sense. Where children are dying of simple things like diarrhea. They follow Christ hoping that all will be made well. And the reality is sometimes God doesn't make all things well in this life. But here James tells those that are in humble situations, humble circumstances, to boast in their exaltation. Many in this day and age think that prosperity is a sign of God's favor and that poverty is a sign of God's displeasure. That if you're in humble circumstances, then God must be displeased with you in some way. And it's the logic that the friends of Job gave. We know this is not sound logic. When we look at this passage today, the closer we look, we're going to see that James' advice makes a lot of sense. James is writing, I want to remind you before I read this text, James is writing with a pastor's heart. He's writing to his church members that have been dispersed because of persecution. They've had to flee home and leave everything behind, and they are living away from their homeland in places where they are now persecuted and poor, many of them. And he writes with his pastoral heart to many of them he knows are struggling. Douglas Moo said this in his commentary. He said, money and the things that money can buy, James well knows, are a tremendously powerful lure to compromise one's wholehearted commitment to the Lord. James knew this. And and in this day and age, let me tell you, church, we need to know this. We may think that money's off limits. Pastor, you can talk about whatever you want to talk about. But don't talk about money. The Bible here tells us that money is so powerful that it can lure us away from our commitment to the Lord. Jesus knew this. Matthew 6, 24, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. But you cannot serve God and money. Church, I would say to you that it is crucial today that we understand wisdom on money and that we understand that when it comes to money and possessions, we need to understand how God sees us, that God sees us a certain way that is not connected to what we have or not that we don't have. So I want to read this passage, and let's just walk through this. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. James here, after he's come out of telling them to count it all joy when you meet various trials, if any of you lacks wisdom, let me ask God. Then in verse 9 he says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. I want to show you today two people that James is addressing. First off, he's going to talk to the poor but rich. And secondly, he's going to talk to the rich but poor. First off, let's look at poor but rich. He says, let the lowly brother. The word lowly there, it, it, it just causes us to think about these brothers and sisters that are living in these places that are far from home. 
Many of them, before they got where they are now, when he's writing this letter to them, they had been fairly well off. But when the gospel began to be preached, the church began to be persecuted. And many of them had to leave their homes and leave everything behind. They left their their possessions. They left their, their livelihoods. They left their money. Many of them were separated from their very families. They don't have much. They're in lowly circumstances. They were living in poverty. They were considered, many of them, where they were, they were considered the the scum and the dregs of society. Many of them were hungry and thirsty. Didn't know where their next meal was going to come from. Imagine that, your life being peaceful and things are pretty well. You don't have everything, but you have everything you need. And one day, because of your commitment to this Christ, you are uprooted, and now you are looked down upon, and you have no source of income, and you don't know how you're going to provide. They had no homes. They had little or no land, many of them. They were lowly. They were poor. They were humble. This word lowly is often used in Scripture to describe a person of little significance in the world's eyes. And maybe some of you are here today, and you're beginning to feel this way about you. In your job or in your school or in your station of life, you're looking around and saying, nobody notices me. And I, listen, this is, not a, this is not one of these sermons where I'm going to build you up and tell you that everything you need is in you. This, I'm not going to turn into Joel Osteen up here on the stage. I'm not doing any of that. But you may be in a place in your life where you, you're, you're just really feeling insignificant. And maybe it's due to the fact that you're following Christ. Take heart. James says to them, let this brother, let this sister boast in his exaltation. What in the world does James mean here when he tells them, you're in in a low situation, now boast in your exaltation. What does he mean? What what in the world is he talking about? Well, literally, when he says in his exaltation, the, the phrase can be translated in his height. So if you read it, we could literally translate it to say, let the short brother boast that he's now tall. That's what, he, that's what he's saying. I've never, I, there was a time when I was short, but since the eighth grade, I've been tall. And some of you uh, kids in Good News Club, you are so tall. You know, it'd be so nice to be tall. Yeah, it's so nice to be tall until you have to find pants that fit or get into a compact car, right? But here he's saying, let the short man brag about the fact that he's tall in Jesus. R. Kent Hughes says, James did not pity his poor brethren or encourage their commiseration. Rather, he saw them as spiritually advantaged. And I want to tell you today that if you're in Christ, that's exactly who you are. You are tall. You are spiritually advantaged. You are at no disadvantage whatsoever if you are in Christ. The rest of Scripture tells us this, and I want to read to you some of these passages of Scripture because I want you to see how God sees you, even if you're here today, in these lowly circumstances. Psalms 138, verse 6 says, For though the Lord is high, He regards the lowly, but the haughty He knows from afar. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Jesus in Matthew 5 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. In Luke 4.18, when Jesus preached his first sermon, you know what the text was that he selected? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. This was good news when they heard it when Jesus preached this because they were an insignificant, little, lowly people because of their following of Christ. But when they go back and they hear this and they think, oh, he preached this text, he preached this sermon, he was preaching to me. Think about it, in Luke chapter 1, who was it that he came to in order to find the womb that would carry the Son of God? This little, lowly, insignificant, virgin teenage girl named Mary. And she sang, for he has looked on the humble estate of, of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Romans 8, verses 16 through 18, Paul continues this theme as he walks through the New Testament. And he says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Peter continues this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 6. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable. Hear the, hear the, the, the terminology. We are heirs. We have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. We could also say, in this you boast. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. First John, John continues in First John, he says in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see him as he is. Read all that to you because I want you to see what, what James is saying. James is not pulling this out of thin air and telling them, hey, 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 just put a smile on your face. You're living in lowly circumstances. Just get over it. You're going to ruin this thing for us. Just put a smile on your face and boast and just tell everybody you're exalted. He's not telling them to make up anything. He's telling them the truth. The truth that the gospel brings, that we are the children of God while the world may see us as anything but and, and look down on us and call us the scum and the dregs of the earth, God calls us son. God calls us daughter. God calls us friend. He calls us blessed. We are heirs of the kingdom through the work of Christ. You say, but wait a minute. I thought boasting was bad. 
Boasting is only bad if it's, if it's illegitimate boasting. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I, I know you've probably heard someone say, uh, you know, you shouldn't brag. Well, it's not bragging if you can back it up. You ever heard anybody say that? On the field or on the court or whatever. It's not bragging if you can back it up. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying here that you should boast about the things that you're good at as long as you can pull them through. What I'm saying to you is legitimate boasting that James is prescribing for us is not the boasting that comes crashing to an end at us. But it's the boasting that falls at the throne of the king. Oh, I'm his. I'm not his because of anything that I have done. I don't deserve to be here. I once was lost, but now he has found me. I once was dead, but now I'm alive. I had nothing to do with that. He did it. And we boast in our exaltation. Even the hungry child of God has been given the bread of life. Even the thirstiest of the children of God has been given the water of life. The poorest child of God has eternal wealth that far surpasses all of this world's treasure combined. You may be an outcast among people and peers, but if you are a child of God, he calls you son and he calls you friend. You may never have a home or to call your own in this life, but as a child of God, you have a home that is waiting for you in the new heavens and the new earth that Jesus has departed and left and gone to prepare. Look around at your circumstances. If you look at them so long and if you get tunnel vision and only look at them, you will get discouraged because you will never have enough. Regardless of your stage of life or what you have, there will always be something more that you want. There will always be something that you don't have. And you will always say that I'm lowly. Why is he treating me this way? Why don't I have this? And it will cause you to work and do things. And and work's a good thing, but it will cause you sometimes to do things that are beyond healthy and holy to get those things, and those things become the marker and the the worth of your life. And what James is telling them to do, to look beyond their physical outward circumstances to who they are in Christ, and to hold on to that, and to see themselves the way God sees them, and let that be their worth. That's what he's calling them to. Secondly, he talks to the rich but poor those that, that have earthly goods but are poor in the way they use them. Look at what he says. He says in, in verse 10, and the rich in his humiliation. He tells the, the rich person to boast in his humiliation. Well, you say, I don't know a lot of rich people that are humiliated. Now, I know a lot to make fools of themselves. Thanks to TMZ, we have all of that in front of us all the time, right? It's not clear here whether James is talking about a Christian or a non-Christian. When he talks about the lowly brother, he calls him brother. And and again, as we walk through James, when he uses brother, it it can be used both brother or sister. He's talking to those that are members that are gone, that are dispersed. But when he comes to this rich, he doesn't say brother. He doesn't say sister. He doesn't say anything. He says just, and the rich in his humiliation. So it's unclear whether James is talking about a Christian or a non-Christian. Some think that he's talking about a lost person. We have a tendency as we look through Scripture that sometimes the Bible casts this negative light on wealth. And we have a tendency to think sometimes that wealth is bad, that that material possessions are bad. And and 
they, we, we can turn to passages like Mark chapter 10 where the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. And he comes to Jesus and he says, what, what do I need to do in order to be saved? And Jesus runs through the list of the law. And this rich young man says to him, look, Jesus, all these things I've done, all these things I've kept from my very youth, I, I'm, I've done these things, but what do I have to do? I know within my heart something's not right. What have I got to do to be saved? And Jesus looks at him and says, one thing you lack, go and sell all your possessions and give it away to the poor and then come follow me. And the Bible says there in Mark chapter 10 that that young man went away disheartened and sad because he owned so much. And he couldn't bear the thought of parting with this earth, these earthly goods. Money, this could be the case. This could be the case that James is talking to a lost rich person. Could be some of those that are now abusing and persecuting these believers in these various places where they've been scattered. He could be talking to them. But probably he's talking to believers. He's writing this in such a way that it would be delivered and read to the congregation. But money certainly can be a deterrent. Money and possessions can certainly be something that keeps people from coming to to Christ humbly, presenting themselves needy, falling on His grace. Money can certainly get in the way. Remember when I was a youth minister in Pikeville, Kentucky, there was a young man that began to attend our, uh, our youth events and our, our weekly Bible studies. He would come on Wednesday night, and he would sit, and he would listen, and he was, he was involved. He even, he even wanted to play in our band at, at one point. And, uh, and he began, I, I thought he was a believer with his involvement. But one, one Wednesday night after the service, he came to me, and he began to talk to me about this issue of following Christ. And he struggled with I don't know that I can give up all that it's going to require. To which I said, look, none of us know that we're going to do this perfectly, but what you have to do is surrender those things and just trust the Lord. He'll give you the strength to follow him. And this went on for week after week after week, and every Wednesday night for for a series of weeks, he would sit with me and, and he would say, but I just don't know that I can. Finally, one Wednesday night, he sat there. I still remember we were in our, our youth building was a little Episcopal church that had been vacated and it was across the street from our place and, and we had rented it out. It was our youth center. We were sitting there in the, the, the foyer of that little building on a little pew that had been left there. And I was talking to him and I said, look, what are you waiting on? You've got to at some point decide that Jesus is better than all this stuff that you're hanging on to. And with that, he walked away. He walked away just like this young man in Mark chapter 10. If that's here, if that's you here today, that, that, that kid's face still haunts me. I, I remember going home from youth events, one, one youth event he walked out of because the conviction, I see now that it was the conviction of the Holy Spirit it was so heavy on him he couldn't bear anymore, and he just got up and he just walked out. And I went home that night and I was so burdened that I, I wept over him. That kid's face still haunts me. Let me tell you something here today. If that's you and you're here today saying, I don't know, I know I need to follow Christ, I want to follow Christ, but I, don't, I can't give up what I have. This kid's concern was he couldn't give up girls. He couldn't give up the escapades with the girls in high school. What's your issue? What are you hanging on to that the world says is so good 
would you lay it down? Would you walk away from it? Would you today declare Jesus is better than that? James is possibly talking here to a lost person, but probably not. More than likely, he's talking to a believer who has managed to retain the wealth, has somehow landed in some place away from home and, and held on to some of this wealth, has a pretty good station in life, and they're doing okay. They're not worried about their money. They're not worried about their meals that they're going to have. They're not, they're, they're not homeless. They're not really even being persecuted so much. They're, they're doing really well. They're rich. They're well off. To which I would ask you this question. We know that poverty can be a trial. Can wealth be a trial? You say, well, if it can, it's one I'd like to suffer through, right? I'd like to have a little bit of it. I'd just like to see if I can handle it. Don't be so fast. Because the Lord in his sovereign goodness knows exactly what you can handle. And maybe the reason you are where you are is because God in his providence has given you exactly what you need and not given you what would take you down, not given you what would cause you to trust in something besides him. Listen to this. Jeremiah chapter 9 says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I, del- I delight, declares the Lord. If we're not careful, if we, were to ta- if we were to get wealth, or maybe some of you are here today and you, and, and you have wealth. Look, all of us in this room, compared to the rest of the world, are wealthy. If we're not careful, we can begin to boast in the things other than the Lord. We can begin to boast and develop a self-sufficient boasting. John Calvin said this, He tells them to glory in their lowliness. He's talking about James. He tells them to glory in their lowliness, their smallness, to restrain those lofty motives that swell out of prosperity. I think John Calvin's exactly right on that. And when he says to them, boast in your humiliation, he's saying, look, don't get so full of yourself and so full of your pride about the things that you have that you forget the smallness of who you are. R. Kent Hughes said, the rich Christian has to work hard to cultivate the poverty of spirit that he experienced when he came to Christ. He's to work at his lowliness, to focus on it, to make it his boast. There's at least three different ways that I think those that are Christians who have wealth to some degree or another can boast in their humiliation. Let me give you three practical ways. Here they are. To never get over the poverty that you felt when you first experienced the gospel. In that moment when you heard the gospel and it made sense and it washed over you as the greatest news you had ever heard and you knew that you had to have Christ In that moment, there was no boasting. There was no puffing out that chest and saying, well, God's good. He's he's lucky to have me. Because no one comes to Christ that way. We come to Christ with open hands, faces to the ground, 
as beggars pleading for mercy. Don't ever get over that. Secondly, be willing to suffer the shame and humiliation of identifying with Christ in a culture that is hostile toward him. I'm not saying that you go out and bring, bring suffering on yourself. I'm not saying that you go out and look for persecution. You know, don't, don't go out and poke the bear intentionally. But don't shrink back from suffering as a believer. Don't shrink back from identifying as a, with Christ in a culture that, was, that is today just as hostile toward him. If they hated him, they'll hate you. Don't shrink back from that. There's going to, increasingly, the world is telling us that we have no right to preach the gospel. We have no right to say one thing's wrong and one thing's right. That we, shouldn't, we should not have a voice at all. And, and, and we're going to, the world's attempting to push us back into a corner. The reality is that's not going to get any better. It's only going to get worse. But don't shrink back from identifying with Christ. Think about the Christ that went to the cross for you, that stood there in that room with all the power to destroy every one of those soldiers. But he let them slap him in the face and pull tufts of his beard from his face and put that crown of thorns down on him and lay him across a cross and nail him to it. He was willing to suffer. Don't you be unwilling to suffer. Third is this, to identify with the people of Christ, even and especially those who do not share your circumstances. What I mean is go to the poor. Go to the needy. Love them. And one of the things I love about being the pastor of this church is that we are such a mix of people. I mean, look around. Aren't we a mix of people? I mean, I've said it before. I've said it often. Outside of this context, we probably, most of us, would not choose one another to be friends. We wouldn't hang out together because we're, we are different. We're from different stages. Of life. I love the fact that we're young and old alike. I love the, the fact that we're from different socioeconomic places. I love that, that so many of us were raised in church and so many of us were so far from raised in the church. I love this because this makes us the body. It makes us who we are. So let's don't ever get to the place where we look down on some people or that we reserve certain places for some people or that we, we refuse to associate with some people. Let's remember that, as I've said it probably a thousand times here in this pulpit, that the ground at the foot of the cross is level. If, if these who are rich, these rich Christians, if they put too much trust in their wealth, they will be sadly disappointed. He goes on and he gives us this illustration. This is one of the reasons why I think you as well as I love the book of James so much. It's because he gives us so many il- illustrations. And he says here in verses 10 and 11, because like a flower of the grass, he'll pass away. The sun will rise with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower will fall and its beauty will perish. So also will this this rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 40. And the imagery here is, imagine with me if you will. It's hard to do this on a rainy day. But imagine that we're in the middle of summer. It hasn't rained in weeks and it is dry. You know the kind of dry where you walk outside and you step on the grass and it crunches under your feet. You haven't mowed it in weeks because... There's no water on it. Imagine one lone dandelion standing up out there in the middle of that brown dead grass. 
It's hot as it can be. And a sudden gust of wind comes. Dandelion's gone. That's the picture here, he says. That if you're not careful, we can become so enamored with the things of this world and begin to pursue the things of this world and trust in them and boast in them and these things that we're pursuing right in the middle of pursuing them. It can be gone. Psalm 49, verses 16 through 17 says, Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. And and this is true, and you've heard other pastors say it, and I'm going to finish up pretty quickly, but nobody's ever taken anything with them. There's never been a U-Haul attached to the hearse. Nobody's ever packing and taking it with them. No one ever reserves a storage container beyond the grave. Everything in this world, everything in life has an expiration date. Uh, the other day I asked my, my wife, my lovely bride, to, uh, to pick up some almond milk. Uh, we were out of almond milk and I needed some at the house to, to make shakes in the morning for my breakfast. And she said, yeah, I'll do that. I'll get you some almond milk. Well, days went by and I forgot about it. Her mom was in town. We were doing other things. And, and I just forgot about it. And about Four days later, she came out and she was holding this carton of almond milk. And she said, I got your almond milk four days ago. It's been in the trunk ever since. Do you want it? (laughs) No, I think I'll pass. The other day, I walk into the kitchen and my son's standing there and he's holding this, this glass He's holding it over the garbage, and he said, uh, I, I think I'm just going to throw this one away. I said, what are you, you going to throw it away for? Well, I think it used to be milk. It was up in his room for who knows how long, and it had lost all of its liquid state. And some things you don't have to wonder. I wonder if this is still good. It's not like pulling a package of meat out of the refrigerator that's just a day past its, its date, and you, you sniff it. No, some things are well gone, right? And you don't have to sniff those things. Everything in life has, have, have these expiration dates. Here's the conclusion that I want you, to, want you to see. Today, are you here? Are you a lowly brother or sister? Are you in lowly circumstances? Are you focused then? If you are, are you focused on your circumstances? Are you focused on the things that you don't have? Are you tempted to think that God has forgotten all about you? Are you tempted to think even worse that he's displeased with you and is punishing you in some way? Now, we had a conversation in the hall, Scotty and I did earlier before the service started, that there's a difference between God's punishment and his discipline. God will discipline us as believers. He will discipline to shape us into the image of Christ. But all of the punishment for sin if you're a believer, has been absorbed by Christ. Let me challenge you to boast in your exalted position, to love Jesus all the more. Secondly, are you a rich brother or sister in this room? Are you focused on your circumstances and your possessions? Are you trusting in them? Are you tempted to think that you're doing so well that you don't really need God? And maybe you don't think that in a conscious way, but if you stop and step back and look at your life, you realize that is what you're doing. 
Are you tempted to think that the reason you have what you have is because God is really pleased with you? Let me challenge you to boast in your humiliation, to remember how much you need the gospel, to remember the privilege of suffering with him, and to remember the call to love and serve those who, who are less, who have less than you. Love the Lord more than the blessings that he gives. See, what James is doing here is he's challenging us to look beyond our outward circumstance. To to not look at what's going on in the present to, to determine our worth, but we're supposed to look past our circumstance to see what we will be. To see the brevity of life and to see the way he ultimately sees us, and that is in Christ. So whether you have much or have little, take stock of who you are in Christ. Boast in your exaltation. Boast in your humiliation. But let all your boasting land at the throne and the feet of King Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. God, it's so obvious that you love us. Lord, I pray that you would take the word that's been preached, God, the the reading of Scripture, the explaining of Scripture, and God, that you would lead us to receive the Scripture. God, help us, Lord, change us from the inside out, Lord. Make us a thankful people. Make us a boastful people, not boastful in ourselves or in our circumstances, but to be boastful in you and what you are doing in us and what you have promised God, I pray today that in this place, Lord, that if there are those who are feeling insignificant, God, help them to rest and to boast in you. Lord, if there are those who are here today and they are lost, God, today I pray that um, they wouldn't walk away like the rich young man. God, that they would determine in this moment that you are better than anything. That having you and subtracting everything else the world has to offer means we're rich. God, I pray that that would ring true. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you an opportunity to reflect on what you've heard, to respond to it. Uh, The Scripture has been read. The Scripture has been explained. Now receive it. Receive it with meekness and with joy. See that it nourishes your soul. Be obedient. Some of you have been grumbling probably. Maybe you need to right now, right where you are, just turn to God and ask him to forgive you if you're grumbling, to make you thankful. Some of you right now, you've been trusting in your possessions, your things, and not so much in him. Turn from that and talk to him today. Cast yourself on him. Ask him to make you so aware of your humility and your need of him. If you're here today and you are like this rich young man and you want to follow the Lord, you want to be saved, but you're clinging to something else and you're afraid to lose this other thing, let me tell you something. You may lose some of the earthly goods of this world, but Jesus promised those who've given up home or land or father or mother or any other thing in this life will not lose anything. You will have everything restored to you one day. You lose nothing by following Jesus. In fact, you gain everything. 
So I would encourage you, I would invite you to come. I'll be seated down here on the front, love to talk with you. If this is the church that God would have you to join, we'd love to talk to you about that. Whatever it is that God is leading you to, don't harden your heart. Be obedient to him today. Let's respond as we worship him. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.